You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Well, good morning. Don't tell them, but y'all did better than the first service. Good job. I want to say, uh, before I get started, my name is Matt. This is my wife, Hannah. We're starting a church over in Buckeye, and I've been here before, so I won't talk too much about that, but just if you have any questions about what that's going to look like, all we would ask is that you just continue to pray for us. We'll be here. You can chat with us about it, but please, please, please pray. This is a whole season, and I was telling someone the other day, they're asking me, how's it going? And I'm like, it's a roller coaster. One day I'm on cloud nine. The next day it's like, why did this happen, this happen, this happen? And while we love every aspect of it, it's just an emotional roller coaster. So y'all please be praying for us. Uh, I want you to know this. You probably already know it. Um, But just from my perspective, I wanted to say a positive word about your senior pastor, Pastor Ryan. He he has been kind of a mentor for me as I stepped out here into the valley. Um, As you can tell, we come from the same neck of the woods. (laughs) They don't use that phrase out here. There's no woods out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, But no, he's from Arkansas. I'm from Arkansas. So immediately when I connected with him through Vision Arizona, our church planning network, uh, we just we understand some of the same things. And so he's just been so helpful to us. And so we're grateful to be here today to bring the word to you all. And if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I'd love for you to turn to the book of Acts chapter nine. We're going to take a brief departure from the book of John. And uh, we'll talk about Acts for a second. Uh, Acts chapter nine, and we'll read it in a second. But have you ever encountered like a situation or a season where you felt rejection? Just a quick show of hands. You felt rejected before. If you haven't, kudos to you. You're living life great. But for the most part, we have all encountered rejection at some level. And I know for me, I was a sophomore in college. This is not the only time, but this is the time that I was thinking of as I was prepping this message. I, I remember I had applied for an internship. Now I'd become a Christian in high school and gone to college intending to do full-time ministry. I was majoring, majoring in accounting, so figure that one out. But during the summer of my sophomore year, I wanted to be an intern at the church that I became a Christian at in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so I applied for that, uh, that role. And after interviewing and chatting with them for a little while, they called me up and they said, hey, we're not going to offer you the role. So that's one portion. Then I was, I was serving while in college at a different church in the youth ministry. And they had gone at a camp on a camp, to a camp at the beginning of the summer. And I went. And while I'm sitting there uh, in worship near the end of the camp, the youth minister comes up to me and he says, hey, Matt, it's not really working out. Probably should take a break from serving in youth ministry. And when I got back to my house in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was hanging out with my friend Uh, And I guess because of all my depression, I was like, man, I need a girlfriend. And so I like invited myself into a relationship with her. And I said, hey, you interested? And she said, I don't think we're a good fit. And so this, like, I'm telling you that story because this was like what led up to my summer. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I have what they call foot and mouth syndrome. I have a lot of maturing that I need to do. And I was only a sophomore in college. And growing up, I only had my mom and my twin brother. And when she was telling me I had personality defects, my, I didn't listen to my mom, because who listens to their mom when you're in high school, you know what I'm saying? Then my twin brother, he was a minute younger than me, so I didn't trust his feedback. <laughs> but when I got to college, 
Like that's when I start, you're living in a dorm or an apartment complex around all of your friends and people that are attending class with you. And that's when you start to realize that as you were growing up, they didn't tell you certain deficiencies in your character. And so college was where I was starting to learn my personality defect of foot and mouth syndrome. Some of you sitting in here, it's the word for you. You've got foot and mouth syndrome. It's something that you need to work on. For me, I was learning that as a sophomore, and I'd gotten those three rejections. And I don't probably need to tell any of you how I felt, because if you've been rejected before, you know how it feels. Some of you asked a girl out, or you liked a boy, and they rejected you. You know how that feels. You know how it feels to want a job and not get it. That's where I was that summer. And so I went back home, and I, I became a lifeguard, and I sat at a pool all summer. And since I had made it awkward with my friend Carrie, we didn't hang out at all. And all my friends were off doing their own internships. So I went to my mama's house, laid in my high school bedroom, and watched DVD reruns of Smallville all summer. It was depressing. Like, I, I remember this vividly, just laying in my bedroom watching shows during the day. And don't judge me, I've grown since then. But at the same time, like, that was how I responded to rejection. And many of us, we have encountered similar situations. Maybe you're in a season right now where you have faced rejection, or simply put, you expected your life to be at a certain point, but where you are right now is not what you had pictured. And if you're in a moment like that, there are ways that we can respond that are productive, and there are ways that you can respond that are less than helpful. And that summer, I tell it because I think about Smallville. Like, that's not Smallville, Small Bill. That's not even, like, it's not even a great show. But I spent the whole summer just wasting my time. But there have been other seasons that are much more significant where I felt rejected. And the temptation was toward apathy and laziness. But God convicted me toward a different way. And so I asked you guys to turn to Acts chapter 9 because one of our beliefs at the church or one of our values at the church is that we want to take God's word and put it in our world. And it's not just go preach the gospel to people. It's no, when you're in the midst of a season that is difficult for you, you take God's word and put it into your specific world. And so for me, every time I have encountered rejection, every time I find myself in a place where it's not what I pictured it would be, I don't know why, maybe it's because I'm a Bible geek and I like this, I go to the early days of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 30, we see a place where, where Paul hits the pit, I would say, of his professional development in life. Now, let me give you a little context. You guys know the Apostle Paul. You've heard of him. He wrote the most, vast majority of the New Testament. The reason we are Christians today and we can gather together in church is because, yes, the Gospels, but also the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul helps us understand that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not that of our own that no one may boast. It's through the Apostle Paul and the letter to the Roman church that we hear that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. It's in Galatians that Paul, the Apostle, tells us that it's for freedom Christ has set us free. It is the Apostle Paul who has given us the vast majority of doctrine and practical application for our ministry. But in the early days, it didn't look like what we see. And 
Paul, he tells us in the latter part of the book of Acts that he was from a certain location. He's from a place called Tarsus. Tarsus is the capital city of Cilicia, which is a province in the Roman Empire. Tarsus was a free city. And we find out in the book of Acts that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so I don't belabor that point. Being a Roman citizen, simply put, is a big deal. What it meant uh, for us to see that Paul was a Roman citizen was that either his parents or his grandparents were well-to-do people. They had enough money either to purchase citizenship or they had done enough good things in their life to be rewarded citizenship in the Roman Empire. It is a big deal. It is of no little importance, Paul would say, that he is from the city of Tarsus. And in Tarsus, the culture of Tarsus, because it was a free city, um, that, you know, like there, there was slavery as there was everywhere else in the Roman Empire, but it was a fairly relaxed setting. There was a, a lot of philosophy being taught and discussed in Tarsus. It was a city of around three to 400,000 people, which is significant in the ancient world. It's a big deal. And Tarsus was no small city. And what would have likely happened is that Paul would have been heavily educated in an understanding of philosophy, of all of the things that you would need to know in the Roman Empire to be successful. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, or in the letter to the Philippian church, that he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He accrued that in Tarsus. He went to school to become a Pharisee. And even later on, we see that Paul, uh, and it was Saul at the time, but we, we're going to call him Paul the Apostle for the remainder of this message. He was so legitimate as a Pharisee that as he's studying in the school of Hillel, he gets to go visit in Jerusalem Hillel's great or grandson called Gamaliel. And let me make it easy for you because many of you haven't read the book of Acts. You don't just geek out over this stuff. Gamaliel was like the Billy Graham of Judaism in his day. It was a big deal, right, to go visit. He's studying under Gamaliel. Paul is at the pinnacle of his ministry in Judaism to the point where when they're thinking of a guy to go root out this sect called Christianity or a new way of living where they followed Jesus, they call Paul and they're like, hey, you want to handle this for us? Paul was at the peak of his clout. And on the way to Damascus, he had gotten letters from Jerusalem about Christians in Damascus, and he was on his way to go persecute these Christians. Paul is the hammer for Judaism in that day and age, and he's on his way, and Jesus, you know the story, Jesus stops him on the road, he blinds him, and he tells him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he goes to Damascus, God is on the side, talk to a guy named Ananias, and uh, Ananias hesitantly goes to Paul, puts his hands on Paul, and he, scales fall from Paul's eyes. He receives sight again, and almost immediately, he changes the way that he operates and goes to preach. Now, Paul realized very quickly that the response to his new Christian ministry would be different than to his Jewish ministry. He goes out into the city of Damascus, which is also a large city, and he starts preaching the good news of Jesus. They do not receive it well, to the point where Paul, who was at the pin pinnacle of his Jewish ministry, is now being let out of a window in a basket in the middle of the night and secretly sent to Jerusalem so that he can escape persecution in Damascus. But his fall from fame and stardom doesn't stop there. When he gets to Jerusalem, he tries to interact with the disciples. You know, Peter, James, John, these super like 
They knew Jesus' people. And he goes to try to interact with them. And they're not having it initially. And eventually Barnabas, I I don't know why they were friends. I don't know how Barnabas knew Paul at the time. But Barnabas goes to bat for Paul to the disciples. And the disciples eventually say, okay, well, we trust you, Barnabas. We'll let Paul hang for a little bit. Well, as he hangs, Paul preaches the gospel. And I don't know this for sure, but based on reading Paul's letters, I would imagine he's very similar to me. He's got foot and mouth syndrome. And so he goes and preaches in Jerusalem and they're not having it. They don't like it at all. To the point where the disciples are fearing for their own lives because Paul is preaching the gospel so heavily and intensely. They start to persecute him. And since they want to kill him, in chapter 9, verse 30, here's what we find out. But when the brethren, that's Peter, James, John, all of the Christian leaders in Jerusalem, when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. I bet for Paul, getting sent to his mama's house, when he was at the peak of his Jewish ministry, was not what he pictured it would be. He studied his entire life to be a Pharisee. He studies his entire life in the Hillel school in order to be something. But when Jesus came in, everything radically turned. And we know Paul stuck with it, but I bet for Paul when he was sent to Tarsus, like even in Jerusalem, the disciples who were being persecuted, they're not going to spend time with me. So they send him down to Caesarea. Can we toss up that map? They send him down to Caesarea. So here's Jerusalem, Caesarea, Jerusalem's up in the mountains. So Caesarea, down to Caesarea, they put him on a boat and they send him all the way up to Tarsus. And Paul now, having reached the pinnacle in the Jewish ministry, is stuck at home around the people who knew him when he was a fool at four years old. I bet for Paul that was really difficult. That's why I connect with the scripture. I don't know why, maybe I'm just weird, but I like to see like rounded characters in scripture. I don't just look at Peter, James, and John and see the cool stuff that they did. I look at them and I see, well, I like, don't just look at their highlight reel. Let's look at where they screwed up because that helps me understand how God can use my mistakes in order to create his masterpiece later in my life. So when I look at Paul, I don't, I don't know fully why he got himself into that place or how we got there. But what I do know is God reversed it later on. So let's look at Paul today and try to understand a few components about what we should do when we find ourselves in a season of rejection, when it's not what we pictured. The first thing I would encourage you to do when you find yourself in that place, because you've all been in that place. You might've gotten rejected by someone you asked out when you were younger. You might've been rejected by a job that you desperately wanted. You've all felt rejection. What do you do when you get to that place? What do you do when you thought you would be up here, but you wind up down here? The first thing I would encourage you to do is ask, how did I get here? Now, you don't see this in scripture. It doesn't tell us the reasons that Paul landed there. It doesn't tell us how Paul developed in Tarsus. Scholars will tell us he spent about anywhere from three to five years in Tarsus, all the way to potentially more than 10 years in Tarsus. But unfortunately, we get one verse in the entirety of the book of Acts that tells us what happened over potentially 10 years. I would imagine, based on what we see later in Paul, that this 10 years that we see one verse about was probably significant for him. And so for those of you who are in this waiting period between 
your calling and you actually honoring and fulfilling that calling, I want to encourage you today because we don't know what you're going through, but Paul's been there. I've been there. So I want to encourage you on how to get through it. So the first question is, how did I get here? I think it would be helpful for us to ask that question. It might not be all your fault, but sometimes there's a little bit that might, be, that might be your personality defects. It might be something that you did that you're now receiving consequences from. It's a good question to ask. If, you didn't, if you're not landing where you wanted to be, why didn't you get there? And why are you where you're at? You know those people who struggle with something that everybody else sees but they don't see? You know what I'm talking about. You know those people. It's like, why do they keep doing this? They, they, they fail at this and you know why, but they don't know why. And then they don't learn. And then they do it again and they do it again. Some of the people maybe in this room struggle with this. It's like, why am I not married yet? And everybody else is like, well, we know why you're not married. I'm not trying to be mean, but like that, that was me for years. The Lord had to teach me how to be a good husband before I became a husband. <laughs> he had to teach me how to, how to learn some different things. I didn't plan a church 12 years ago. I'm planning it now. There were 10 to 15 years where I had to grow and learn. And there were things that I was actually doing that were inhibiting my progress. You've got to ask, how did I get here? Why did I get here? For me, I, I had to ask that question. Why did I not get that job in the internship? Well, when I asked, the guy gave me a very simple answer. He said, you remember when you led that youth event and then you took Vaseline and let the kids wipe it all over somebody else's car? That's why you didn't get it. And I'm like, that's good awareness, right? Like, it's so simple. And sometimes you're in a position because you did something or there's something about you that you need to grow in. Like, that's not all there is. I need you to know this. Like, it's not all your fault, but there's some things that you can learn. Why are you in this position? For Paul... I'm sure the way that he preached the gospel after Tarsus was different than the way he preached the gospel before Tarsus. Now, I can't speak to the exact shape and shift in that, but I can tell you it probably, he probably needed a little bit of time to change those things. And for you, why'd you get there? What about you might be putting you in that position? Awareness is crucial in your walk with God and accomplishing your calling. I realized that when I started trying to do ministry um, in the church, there were things I had to work. I can't just walk up to somebody and say, well, that's why you're in that position because you're a terrible... P I can't just talk to... Like, m many of the big issues in my life happen because I put my foot in my mouth. I mean, every time I got dumped, I'll never forget. I did tell this in the first service. I probably should tell it now because you're going to think, I'm not going to that church. But I remember in high school, I got dumped. There's a girl named Taryn. She was super nice. And um, this, there were some other things, I'm sure, but she came and all her friends were like, oh my gosh, your hair looks so good. Your hair looks so good. I love that color. And I looked at him and I said, she didn't do anything with her hair. And she looked at me and she said, I dyed it a whole different color, right? Like, that's me. That's, that's my screw up. I had to grow and I had to learn. What do you need to learn from what happened to you? Like, why didn't you get where you wanted to be? But don't blame yourself. Like, guilt and shame doesn't help you get where God wants you to be. Awareness might, though. But let's, let's take it away from what you could have done differently. Because sometimes you could have done anything differently. Sometimes you are in a season you are in because God wants you to be there. It's not your fault. It happened. 
And God has an, an intent by putting you in that season. For Paul, and, and I believe this is true, Paul needed a minute. You know, like, it wasn't too long before he trusted in Jesus that these people who stoned Stephen were laying their garments down next to his feet. Like, it wasn't that long since he had just killed a dude for following Jesus. And I know God's grace is sufficient for him, and I know that he turned around in a moment and started preaching Jesus. It was a light bulb moment for Paul. But everybody else needed a minute, and just to be frank, Paul needed a minute. Maybe you are not in a place that you had pictured you would be at this point in your life because you need, you need time to develop. You need time to develop. What are the areas in your life that you just need time to develop in? I believe this is true because Paul says later when he's writing to Timothy, he says um, leaders in the church should not be brand new converts. I don't know if this is personal to Paul, but he communicates the importance of time. You might be in a season simply because God has a time period wherein he wants to shape you and develop you to become the person he's called you to be. He needed time to understand more and more about the character of God as represented in Jesus. He had a light bulb moment, but he needed to align his thoughts to God's thoughts. Otherwise, he would have possibly gotten stuck in his old ways. And many of you, you want to be where you would hope that you would be, but God needs to develop you during this season, during this time. And it's important for us to ask the question, how did we get here? The second question that might be good for you to ask is, what can I learn now? What can I learn now? A lot of people who fall into bad seasons, they become apathetic and frustrated. They play the victim rather than choosing to have victory even in the midst of a difficult season. It's important for us to ask, what can I learn? You would benefit yourself significantly if you asked that question. I believe when Paul is sent to Tarsus, he could have gone back home, laid in his room, and did whatever his version of watching Smallville replays was. But, but, and we don't know fully what he did, but we know Barnabas was ready to grab him a few years later. Paul was learning. He was developing. He was growing. He didn't allow this season of, of rejection to cause him to move away from God's calling on his life. But many of us, and I have been in this position, I got rejected by something. It didn't just happen in, in, in my sophomore year. Like, I remember I submitted a research proposal. Um, I, you know, I went to seminary, and uh, when I was done with seminary, I had been working at a church, and the church didn't run really, really fast. And as you can tell by me talking right now, I'm like a fast mover, right? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to drive them up the wall crazy if I don't do more schooling and if I just come to this church full time. So what I did was I did the PhD program in New Testament and I finished all my seminars. And as I'm getting to the end of my last seminar, I am writing a research proposal for my dissertation. And I go into a room with my professor and he looks at me and he says, you've been skating by. This isn't scholarly work. I don't even know how you got here. Right? Nick, whoo! It probably could have been nicer. But, and I remember on my way home that evening, I just, I felt so terrible. Like I felt horrible. And every part of me wanted to move into anger rather than development. You know, like on my way back, I remember thinking this and, and God convicted me of it pretty quick, but I felt like James and John who wanted to call down like fire from heaven. I, that's what I felt like. Right? I, but I didn't, I, I didn't do that. I didn't pray, Lord, help him lose his job. Like, I didn't pray that. 
It took me a second and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And many of you, you got rejected by somebody and your first response would be like, whatever, man. We use scripture out of context. We say, it's time to shake the dust off my feet. I don't even care about that person. Bump that dude, right? Like that's what we think. And people stay in that rather than learning in a season where God is trying to get you to learn. You can choose to be teachable or you can choose to be unreachable. Which are you going to be? And I, I don't know because until chapter 11, we don't see Paul again. I just know he was in Tarsus for a long time in his hometown and he probably could have been angry. Man, them disciples, this ain't right the way they treated me. Man, Damascus let me out in a basket, people trying to kill me. But later on, Paul did a ministry that blesses the entire world right now. So I'd imagine he became teachable. He learned. He took that opportunity. I'd encourage you to take that opportunity. You not only ask how you got here, you ask, what can I learn here? And then you ask this very, very important question. It's so important for us to have vision. It's so important for us to anticipate what God might do. We ask the question, God, what's your plan? God, what's your plan? If you don't ask where God's leading you, you're not going to be anticipating and looking for it. You're just going to be stationary. God wants you to ask. He wants you to align your thoughts to his thoughts. He wants you to think on the things that are true, right, honorable, pure, lovely, of good repute. God wants you to seek him where he can be found so that he can shape you, mold you, and make you into his poema, right? The masterpiece that he talks about, Paul talks about in Ephesians. It's almost like when he writes that, that God's doing a good work in me, it's like he felt that. Because during different seasons of his life, he realized what God was trying to do. He anticipated it. He aligned his thoughts to God's thoughts. You've got to ask that question. And it's interesting because that season could be short and it could be, up, it could be long. And I know you guys are thinking, well, I'm coming out of the storm. I'm coming out of the storm. I can't tell you how long the storm's going to be. But what I can tell you, at least from my experience, and many of the people in this room would attest to this, God will bring you to a place if you allow him to, where you know him at a deeper level, where you enjoy his presence and where you're operating within your purpose and capacity. God will do it. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you've got to ask yourself, God, you've got to ask the Lord, what are you doing in me? And if you start asking him, you'll start to see it. And what I love about this passage, we see it all in post, but Paul had 10 years of not knowing what was going to happen. He wasn't like, all right, I'm, I'm on speed dial for Barnabas. He's going to come get me one of these days. He didn't have that knowledge. He had no clue what was going to happen. I believe that he figured out some stuff about himself. He recognized the time was valuable. He became teachable. And eventually he understood what God would call him to do. And what we see is so interesting in scripture that the disciples sent him from Jerusalem to Tarsus. But in chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, it'll be on your screens, but you can also turn there. It says that when the disciples here's something about the city called Antioch, which is a little bit bigger than Tarsus, but full of the same philosophies and very similar groups of people. They send Barnabas to check out Antioch, but on his way, it says he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And then here's what it says. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And I think the Lord revealed this to me as I was falling asleep last night, that God took Paul from a place where they sought to kill Christians to a place where people were eventually called Christians. He took him away from a place that wasn't going to be satisfactory in terms of him fulfilling his calling to a place where he could fully indulge in his calling. This is God's plan the entire time. And I could go detailed into it. Tarsus and Antioch aren't that far from each other. They're similar in population and demographic makeup. I wonder what would have happened if Paul got what he wanted and stayed in Jerusalem. Would he have been equipped to do what God called him to do in his ministry to the Gentiles starting in Antioch? It was Antioch that provided the funds for the first missionary journey. It was Antioch that they were first called Christians. And Paul wouldn't have seen it. Paul wouldn't have pictured it. But I bet when he looks back on his life, he recognizes that God will do more than you can ask or imagine. It went from not what he pictured to probably better than he imagined. And this is what God is trying to do in you. As you walk through this waiting period, what does it look like for you to learn and to ask God what he's doing? We see what he did through Paul. We can only imagine what he could do through you. Paul was just a man, and you're just a man, and you're just a woman. God can use you at a high level if you use these seasons for seasons of development. And now we can meet together as a church because of what God did through Paul. We come together in community every single week because of what God used Paul to do. In fact, Paul takes what Jesus said when he's instating the Lord's Supper, and he gives us a little bit more clarity on how it should be enacted. And so in a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Jesus tells us that his body is broken for us. He tells us that the blood represents the blood of a new covenant that we share with God. And so many of these things were elaborated on by the Apostle Paul. And so as we're contemplating on the Apostle Paul and what God can do did through him, and we're contemplating about what God can do through each one of us, I would love for us to kind of share that dream together, all centered around the aspect of Jesus Christ, who came, died on a cross, rose from the grave, so that we can have life abundantly in the present and honor God's calling on our life in the good seasons and also in the difficult seasons. So can you guys stand with me and we'll take communion. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you loved us enough, not just to send your son, but to give us your word to guide us. God, we don't know you without the words on these pages. And so we are so grateful for this. And God, I pray that everyone in this room would learn the discipline of putting your word into their world. God, help us. Help us trust you when it's difficult to trust you. And God, as we come together in communion, we praise, we praise you for the fact that we can come together, break bread, and partake. The blood of the new covenant and your body that offers us 
forgiven, forgiveness of sins as it's broken on our behalf. God, we love you and we trust you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.